This episode is brought to you by Planet Broadcasting's 2018 partnership with Care Australia and Everyday Hero, supporting women and girls living in extreme poverty around the world. To donate to our campaign, visit planetbroadcasting.com or click on the link in the show notes below. The following episode of TOEFOP is rated M.A. It may contain Batman references, time travel references, sexual references, lost trains of thought and mild coarse language. TOEFOP advises that the program is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who enjoys succinct, coherent conversation that might actually have a point. Minors must be accompanied by a parent, guardian or priest. This is John Deke speaking. Everyone relax, this is Tofop. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. Hello, Charlie. You look relaxed actually today. I will say that you have fluffy hair. Um, yeah. And you, you've got quite a beard on at the moment. And yep. uh, yeah. I will say that like, I know that it's kind of late at night where you are, because otherwise I would think you just got out of bed. You've got a bit of a just got out of bed look today. Well, what you've got is my, I'm going to get into bed looking at this <laughs> Because... I'm having a week, uh, when I get heavily into writing, I tend to just sort of push everything aside in my day so that I can come home, get into my pyjamas at the earliest point, and then just stay at my computer and write. So I got all the stuff I needed to do, like shopping, and went to the gym, got that all out of the way, came home at midday, made some lunch, got into my pyjamas and started writing. (laughs) I um, discovered at the local markets, the South Melbourne, uh, you know, sort of fresh food markets they have down the road. So uh, yesterday I went down and this place I've been going to, it's like a French bakery I've been going to for croissants and pastries and stuff. And (laughs) it's been no good for me. It's like no good to have it. It, It's lucky the markets are only open Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, because otherwise I would be in a lot of trouble. But I'm already probably in a lot of trouble. But then yesterday I discovered they also do, they don't do like bread, but they do a baguette. They do just like that one type of, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to get a baguette. I'll get some fresh salads and I'll get a baguette. Mm-hmm. And that's what I need to, you know, to eat today. And oh my God, Charlie, it was the greatest baguette I have ever had in my entire life. I went down there early this morning to try to get another one fresh. They were already sold out. And so then I had to go make another trip back to the markets just in between what I was doing this morning and this so that I could get a baguette. Like I've never had them before and I got two today. Get a baguette, get a baguette, get, 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 get a baguette. (laughs) I think we've just come up with that that bakery's jingle. Yeah, I think they're a bit more sophisticated than our get, get, get a baguette jingle. Uh, just do it with a French accent. Get a baguette, get a baguette, get, 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 get a baguette. Now it's fancy. Is Now explain to me, and, and I know people love when we do our little uh, uh, food diversions yep. on this show, <laughs> but tell me, Will, what makes a good baguette? Okay, so here's what I like about this baguette. It is... Um, mm-hmm. It is kind of longer and flatter, and it is very... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, keep going. (laughs) Yeah. Well, no. Yeah, okay, because it's about the width, not the girth, right? So Yeah. So it's it's more of a flat bread. Is it more like a flat loaf? Yeah, but it's in between like a baguette and a flat loaf uh, in that like it's it's almost all crust. 
is what I would say. So oh, in between, yeah. like in between, it's like uh, the inside of like an aero bar. So yes. it's essentially crust. It's like baguette crust. Yeah. And then as you crack it open, it, the bread is barely in there. It's just like wispy yeah. bread, like an aero bar. Spider basically. web, like yeah. spider web. Bread. Little spider web inside some crust. And it is now, amazing. Is it, is it like sort of delicate and soft or is it more like sourdough kind of sturdy bread? Oh, so the outside, you know, takes some real strength to rip it. Although I don't go to the gym. <laughs> oh my God, you're such a beta male. Oh, how'd you hurt your shoulder, Will? Oh, tearing open my baguette. <laughs> you make me sick. You make me physically sick. Now that I work out all the time, I've got a lot of extra t- testosterone and it's telling me that you're a joke, mate. Yeah, you might not notice uh, how the, the bread is a little tough because it once it's open, it tastes... It's you know what it, it tastes like. It tastes like if you go to a really fancy restaurant and they have bread where it's like so beautifully crusty on the outside, and then just sort mm. of like you put just like fresh butter on the inside, and you're essentially just eating like fresh baked crust with butter on it. It's amazing. You speak you speak my language, man. Like this is the thing. When I grew up, I could never understand why kids didn't want to eat their crusts because for me, the crust is the best part. Like. I will happily go to an eaten pizza box and find all the crust that people haven't eaten and eat those because that's the best part. I mean, Charlie had some hard times between acting jobs. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He was mostly feeding himself by like, eating the remainders like of top, people's pizzas. It's not like I was top cat. It's not like you'd find me in a dumpster going through people's. I'm talking about like I Char- ate the pizza, then I go Charlie's back and get banned the crust. from eight Domino's uh, because he was going around the restaurant eating everybody else's crusts. If that happened to you, if you were at a like Italian restaurant and you didn't eat your crust and some dude walked up and said, hey man, are you going to finish that? Would you be like, no, take them? Or do you think it was a little weird? I would, well, I would obviously think it was weird, but you know, I think we may have talked about this before. I'm sure we've talked about fucking everything before. Um, so one of my great fantasies is just sometimes I see something delicious on somebody's table. Like yesterday I was walking by a fish and chip shop down Bay Street uh, in Port Melbourne and uh, it is like a really good big fish and chip shop there. It's the one that um, on Good Friday had a DJ out the front of it. (laughs) (laughs) DJ Jesus G's? Yeah, he was like, Christ is dead, but we are not going to sleep for three days. Let's party. I'm DJing a fish and chip shop. My dreams have come true. Um, So, uh, no, so it's quite a big fish and chip shop and out at the front on the street they've got like big tables and there was a family sitting down at a table and there was like a a dad and a mum and then there's a kid who's maybe like three and then there's like a toddler in a pram situation I'm going to say about somewhere between sort of six and 12 months I'm not really sure but like a yeah a baby but not quite a newborn baby and they have got like a family serve of fish and chips so like Essentially, yeah. they have this bucket that's filled with chips and potato cakes and... Go on. Pause. How long have you been looking at this family? This is an incredibly descriptive. Like, I mean, were you leering at this family? How long did it... Did you take notes? If I was sitting there with my wife and kids and I saw some beta male comedian with floppy hair staring at me, staring at my food, I'd call the cops. <laughs> 
Will's been arrested again. What this time? No, he wasn't on a plane. He was just staring and leering at a family's food in the street. All right, continue. So um, fish, chips, potato cakes, dim, dimmies? Or is it too fancy for a dimmy? Okay, so here's the thing, Charlie. Um, I, You're absolutely right. I have a bit in my show that I've been doing about how I have a terrible visual memory. We've talked about this on the show before, but how I like um, words, but I... I, I pictures don't really fuss me and my brain works a bit like that as well um but i now that we've started talking about this realize that if i needed to draw you like if, if it had turned out one of those people had been <laughs> murdered by the fish and chips i would have been able to draw you a complete description of what they look like what they were all wearing how the family was seated together like i remember the joy on the the three-year-old's face like this kid mm. was clearly, like clearly for the three-year-old in particular, going and having fish and chips with the family was like the the most exciting thing that happened in his life. And he was just in joy. But even the baby, I remember the baby was like doing baby wiggle, like excited baby wiggle, <laughs> like about the chips. And I was like, I get you, baby. I've, se- I've seen this food that your parents have got. And I'll so- float a, I'll fl- I can float a theory for why. Yeah. So could you smell their food? When they were eating, could you smell the chips and the fish and the potato cakes? Did you get a whiff, an aroma of their of their food? Uh, you can't smell anything but uh, fish and potato cakes as you go by that restaurant. That's but the thing what... about that's the thing about an open fish and chip restaurant is everything smells like fish and chips. So you know that like they say, the sense that we most closely associate with memory is smell. Like it is mm. the most potent. They suggest if you study, you should burn like a, a candle with a scent or, or, or whatever. So I think that the reason why you're having such a terrifying amount of recall on this is you're absorbing all those delicious fish and chip shop smells while looking at this family. It was probably only a split second, but it went like you mainlined it straight into your brain. Well, they do that a lot on those like, you know, faux TV shows, you know, that have to do with them recreating people's memories, you know, with the, the quirky detective genre. Um, the enigmatic detective genre, a lot of time they'll go, oh, well, you were drinking coffee at the time or you were near a coffee shop. So we'll like, you know, have some coffee here in the background or whatever. And that'll, I think you're right. Would it be amazing if I discovered I had a superpower, which was uh, while I normally don't have good recall about anything, I have perfect recall as long as you can recreate the smell. It's as long as it's associated with food. I could describe you everybody who worked in that bakery or I bought that baguette this morning. (laughs) Really? Oh, yeah. I mean, you had to stand in a long line, so I had time to have a look, but I could give you a pretty detailed breakdown of what was going on in that open kitchen. <laughs> so this family in the street, uh, baby excited, uh, three-year-old excited, mum and dad, and they've ordered clearly a whole bunch of different things, but the way that it's served was quite distinctive. So essentially they have like, you know, bits and bits of fish and whatever but in the middle they have all the kind of potato products so they basically have this kind of like kfc style bucket that is just Mm -hmm. filled to the brim with like chips potato cakes sweet potato Mm. cakes so they have sweet potato cakes there as well and that was the thing that it's a fancy yeah fancy place particularly caught my eye but the thing that also caught my eye charlie was it was clearly too much potato for that family right i was going like it was like for it was enough for four or five adults, not, and they had like two adults who both looked like they were in reasonable shape, and and then they had like a, a three-year-old kid and a baby. It was way too much hot, fresh, delicious potato, and mm. I did consider for a second asking if I could have a chip. 
because they weren't going to get through it all. And I was like, who's, what's the harm? But what I love about that is when do you approach? Because it sounds like you were thinking of going right up there in the yeah. moment and asking for a chip because you'd assess the situation. Yeah. You looked at the kids, you looked at the parents, you did a rough estimation of what each of their stomachs could hold and you're like, that's way too much potato. So if you had done that, if I'm the dad and you come up and you yeah. say that, I immediately take that as a challenge <laughs> and I'll probably turn you back to your table, but then you know I what? will sit there okay. and eat all those chips just to show you, even if I don't want them. Let's role play it. Let's just see how okay. it would have gone down. You be the dad uh, okay. and I'll be me for the sake of this. Sure. <clears throat> uh, excuse me, mate. Yes. Can I help you? Uh, yeah. Hey, I, I know this might sound a bit weird, but I was just walking by and uh, you guys seem like you're having an absolutely lovely day. And uh, I just noticed how many chips and potato cakes that you have. And I've just made a little assessment. And I I just can't imagine that you're going to get through all those chips and potato cakes. And I was just wondering if I could have a chip. Just one. I don't need to get it out myself. Like, you could hand it to me. I don't want to... But is there any chance I could just have a chip, uh, please? Well, how about this? How about me and my wife, my kids, we will eat our dinner and if there's anything left over then sure you can come over and you can you can get what's left i'm not a seagull mate i uh <laughs> i'm not a fucking seagull i want a hot that- chip right now i don't want your dirty soggy fucking throwaway chips you asshole you prick i can't believe that you want to offer me your leftovers all i wanted was one hot chip that you're going to throw away anyway but you're like no seagull go down to the beach seagull and then come back and if we have anything left over seagull then you can have it well fuck you mate and fuck your family in other news today, Will Anderson was arrested for a second time after accosting a family while eating chips. <laughs> well, at least you've got material for 2019's show. So, Charlie, this is what I was going to say in relation to your pizza problem, to take it yeah. back to that, which is where this started. I yeah. would have no problem with somebody taking things that I hadn't eaten. Um, I think the more interesting conversation is that one at the start. If you could go over to someone and say, are you going to eat your crust? If you're not going to eat your crust, like if you're at a table of people who aren't going to eat their crust, cut them mm-hmm. off right then. And then, you know, you, you could be able to eat. Yeah, I reckon that'd be fine. Cut them off, put them in a bowl. That's what you should have to do. If you're not going to eat your crust, cut them off, put them in a bowl by the table and anyone who goes <laughs> by can just have a crust. Well, is I, I seem to remember being a kid and being told that you're, you had to eat the crust because it was healthier. Now, is that just something your mum says to make sure you eat the whole thing? Yes, absolutely. Okay. There is absolutely no science behind that. Think about that for one second, Charlie. How could that possibly Question. be true? Question. Is it true that when you eat crust, it makes your hair curly? Oh, that is true, of course. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're clearing up some big questions on Fake Top news. today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, uh, so, oh, I was telling you off air about my neighbor, Phil. Oh yeah. Tell everyone about Phil. This is a good story. Yeah. So, uh, you've met Phil, Charlie. In fact, you met Phil the first time I met Phil. You were over here at the house Uh, and we were doing a podcast. I believe I made, uh, the classic Aussie joke of, you know, um, when I could hear you guys talking in the doorway and you said that you and your girlfriend were moving in here and I walked out and I said to him, 
Don't worry, mate, I'm Charlie. I'm not his girlfriend. <laughs> and we laughed and we laughed and we laughed at the environment of casual homophobia that permeates our country. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, yeah, well, it was nice that he introduced himself, actually, because during the comedy festival, I've had a procession of people come over here to, um, you know, record podcasts. And it is one of those things where otherwise they might have thought that, you know, a meth dealer or something had moved in next door. So, uh, so Phil and I have been uh, becoming friendly and I just recorded an episode of my Willosophy podcast with Phil. Uh, because Amazing. the other day, Phil and I were talking and uh, he's, uh, yeah, he's out the back packing his van and he said, we're going to be away for five months. And I was like, oh, okay, what are you doing? Uh, going on some adventure. And he said, yes. And then he hands me like a leaflet, a brochure, and it says on it, Phil's Burke and Will's Trek, 3,200 kilometers. He and his wife, Susan, are going to walk the track that Burke and Will's walked across Australia, Melbourne to the Gulf of Carpentaria. And he's doing it by himself at age 72. It's an amazing story. And Burke and Will's, didn't they die on that journey? Well, as Phil and I discussed, they died on the way back. (laughs) And he's only going there. He's flying back. Everything's fine. (laughs) (laughs) I love this. This, They just released a new trailer for Deadpool 2. And one of the gags in the trailer is that Deadpool's assembling his super team. Mm. And then the last guy is this dude called Peter. And it's like, what's your superpower? And he's like, oh, nothing. I just just saw the ad. And so they've just cut him into the trailer like an ordinary guy amongst all these superheroes. You've essentially Deadpool 2'd it. You found like your, your next door neighbor and put him on philosophy amongst all these kind of like famous celebrities. Right. And the other thing is, his stories are really interesting because we start talking about this. Wow, 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 wow. The only people who have interesting stories are celebrities, Will. Well, it turns out, Charlie, that that may not be true. We may have found the <laughs> one exception to that rule, which is my next door neighbor. I mean, the coincidence that. <laughs> <laughs> that the only interesting non-celebrity happened to live right next to me. I'm fucking so pissed off at you. George Miller's been your neighbour for years. You didn't ask him on the bloody show. And then Phil turns up and he's bloody got himself an hour and a half. Primetime slot. Where's Miller? Still waiting for it to be Miller time, Will. Phil can wait. Bump Phil and get Miller. You, you completely misread the brief. I said, Will... Let's get your neighbour, George Miller, on yeah. the show. No, you said... You just my, read as far as neighbour. You, you said my 72-year-old neighbour... Yeah. <laughs> ...who has big eccentric plans. And I assumed you meant Phil, not George Miller. <laughs> um, so he, he tells me... Like, he's one of these people who's always connected sort of history to his um, adventures. And so he's done all mm. these things. Like, so he, he wanted to give up smoking when he was 49. So... To do that, he decided he would run from the lowest point in Victoria to the highest point in Victoria. He'd run a marathon every day uphill. How old was he? 49. 49. And he was going to like, he was going to have his next cigarette at the top of Mount Kosciuszko. That was his plan. And by the time he'd, (laughs) right? And then by the time he'd run up there, he's a bit like Australia's Forrest Gump. Like, yeah, right. It's amazing. So, so He's done all these explain things. to me how how long a distance is the lowest to the highest point. I mean, he wasn't running it in one go. He wasn't running from Port Phillip Bay up to Mount Kosciuszko. No, Was but he? he did he did fifty kilometers a day. He did a marathon every Adam, day. But th- how did he work up to that, or did he just start forest gumping it? 
Yeah, that day. Put down a smoke. <laughs> he was halfway through one at a party. Wearing thongs. <laughs> Just left. Just started going. <laughs> Where's Bill? I mean, I just imagine like to build up at that age to build up to 50 kilometers a day. Like that to me sounds like a long project in terms of incremental build up. I don't know. I mean, unless he was an experienced athlete to that point. Yeah, no, he I mean, was. I don't a, know. I'm not a runner. A, Ask a runner. He was always a, uh, a really fit person. Right. Um, okay. Yeah. So no. So he, this was part of his exercise routine. He just incorporated long distance running. Yes, exactly. Um, so in 1980. I bet you Phil could tear open a baguette fucking with one arm behind his back. Oh, yeah, I'm so glad that I didn't do that in front of Phil. <laughs> I would have disappointed <laughs> Can you him. imagine? You're like, oh, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. It's like, yeah, is that like that time I used to run 50 kilometers a day for a year? <laughs> I can relate, Will. You're having trouble. Open- You've got tennis elbow. You've got baguette elbow, do you? <laughs> well, guess what? In 1986, I rode a penny farthing around Australia. So open your own fucking baguette, you coward. <laughs> He rode a penny farthing around Australia. Yeah. Uh, so a penny farthing right around Australia uh, by himself. Uh, here's the thing that you may or may not know about penny farthings, Charlie, is that um, they don't have brakes. You know, they're, they're fixed bikes, bicycles without brakes. I've seen that episode of Deadwood, I believe. It causes an accident in which a child dies or something. <laughs> it really scared me. Right. It put me off buying a penny farthing. <laughs> right. I mean, it's why they've gone out of fashion. <laughs> you know, they really don't have a lot of the modern day features we expect in transportation. But he bought one and he rode it around Australia, all the way around Australia. And Australia has a lot of hills. Uh, and he rode a penny farthing around the entire country. That makes no sense. I did the Great Victorian bike ride when I was a teenager. That's where they pick you up in Melbourne, they drive you up to sort of the Murray River, and then you spend the next seven or nine days cycling back down to Melbourne. And I remember, like, I had, like, a 20-speed, tw- like, racing bicycle, and I couldn't even fucking get up a hill. I'd have to get up and, and walk because it was so hard. How do you do that in a right. penny farthing? And I well, think if you're going to ride a penny farthing, you have to dress appropriately. I hope he was wearing, like, a stovepipe hat, a three-piece suit, fob watch, monocle. <laughs> well, you know, the thing is that they apparently going down hills is the hardest bit. You can kind of come up with a way to get up a hill, but coming down a hill, because there's no brakes or anything, essentially, Mm. if you let it go too fast, the only way to stop is to just flip over the front of it. (laughs) Great. Yeah. Yeah. Here's what your brakes are. Your body. (laughs) How durable is it? I love in the development of the penny farthing, like when they were doing the testing of it, like, you know, the kind of the beta version of the penny farthing. They were like, well, we've got this enormous wheel that you have to climb up that's so big you can't put brakes on it. Well, maybe we should break it down into two smaller wheels. No, 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 no. One big wheel. Who's going to buy two smaller wheels? <laughs> like, I'd be interested to know, was the penny farthing the prototype bicycle or was, there, was that just like a specific, was that a model of bike or was the two smaller wheels developed at the same time? Michael, can you look up the history of bicycles, please? Yeah, but look, look up Penny Farthing. I'd like to know the history of the Penny Farthing at the very least. I think that would be uh, fascinating because I'm not sure. I, I loved what I like to think before we get into this is 
I mm. like to think that the original model was big wheel, tiny wheel. And it was for ages until somebody was like, you know, like that little girl in the taco ads where you're like, why yeah. can't we have soft and hard? You know, it's like yeah. well, both. And yeah. they just lift her in the air. It was that equivalent. It was someone was like, what about if we just make the wheels the same size? And everybody just <laughs> grabs them, starts lifting them in the air. I mean, the hard, you know why penny farthings went out of fashion? Because people, you know how many spokadokes you have to put on those? You would lose a fortune. <laughs> people are like you're making it try sound like something that hasn't been invented yet so this is even confusing <laughs> uh the penny farthing also known as a high wheel high wheeler and ordinary was the first machine to be called a bicycle so there you go it was the first bicycle Charlie. holy shit so that was the first place we stopped was one big wheel that's amazing one big wheel one tiny wheel it i mean was- you would have looked at a horse and cart and gone well, we don't put one big wheel on that and then a little one to steady it. We have like two equal size wheels either side. Nah, nah, nah. This will be fine, mate. I mean, it's crazy. Okay. Since um, the two guys have never invented anything in their lives. It was popular in the 1870s and 1880s with its large okay. front wheel providing high speeds. So, oh, so your big wheels for high speeds, large distance for every rotation of the legs. Okay, so that's the idea of your big wheel is that, you know, obviously you're getting more distance. So why don't they still have, oh no, I guess because of gears. Anyway, let's not speculate on how bikes work. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, And uh, comfort. Okay, so oh, that was the other thing as well, of course, that um, because the seat was basically on the wheel almost, your big wheel was for Mm. comfort. I guess it wouldn't have been as comfortable with the small wheel. Um, Why? Shock absorption through the wheel. Oh, right. Okay. It became... Obs- I, I love how I said that like I knew the answer, but what I was really reading was the next line of the Wikipedia that said shock absorption through the wheel. Dear <laughs> Charlie, shock absorption through the wheel, you idiot. Like everyone knows if they're reading the Wikipedia page of Penny Farthings. Um, it became obsolete from the late 1880s. With the development of the modern bicycle. So it was a fad. I mean, it was like the Razor scooter yeah. of the 19th century. Only 10, it had a 10 year period. Yeah, actually. Yeah, absolutely. Right at the start or of the modern are, bicycle. Or what are those things called? The ones that are killing all those people? The hoverboards, you know, those crazy things? Yeah. Hoverboards? Are they called hoverboards? Are they called hoverboards? I don't know. I think they're called hoverboards. You know what I'm talking about. The ones that blow up on planes and stuff. Yeah. They, they went away again, didn't they? It was a, oh, I've seen a f- I've seen a few in LA. Yeah, some people there's like a kind of Segway e version that has a little handle on the front, not like a proper full Segway, but it's like a mini Segway. But I've seen a few people riding those around. The there's Segway, a lot of weird... the Segway is like more popular in LA than it is anywhere that I've been. I reckon. Yeah, you're right. I I mean, I'm, there's a lot of oddly motorized transport in LA. I've noticed, like. A lot of skateboards and bikes and weird things are motorized, like little motors and everything. Right. Well, they're basically like just people don't like to walk in LA. And so they're just willing to do anything else other than walk. That's right. It's the driving city. I actually hired a car uh, last week. I haven't really needed one uh, while I've been here because I've sort of been sticking to West Hollywood a bit. But then I was like, well, you know what? I've got the bulk of my work out of the way. I want to actually get out a bit you know go and see friends and all that kind of stuff and I tell you what like you can understand why no one I mean 
when you get in that car, because it's such a big city, you've got so far to go. Like when you get in that car and you can put your music on and you're going to be in gridlock at some point. Like I can understand why like more and more cars come into LA, why it's so choked up. Because I mean, if you had to do that, if you're doing ride shares or, or, or whatever all the time, it's just like, no, you want to listen to your own stuff. You don't want to have to talk to other people necessarily. You don't even have to really want to look any, anywhere else but that like straight out that windscreen. I've been catching a lot of Uber uh, recently because of, you know, obviously comedy festival and um, it's kind of the most convenient way to get, you know, to and from the show. And so I, I often will walk one way, uh, but, you know, Uber the other way. And so I'll mix it up, you know, either into the show or home from the show. And mm. I noticed recently that my Uber ratings slipped a little. Oh. Uh, yeah, I don't really know why. I mean, I often, I will say also, I'll use my Uber for somebody else. You know, if somebody mm -hmm. else needs a lift somewhere or whatever, I'll, you know, just put, book it on my Uber. So I may not have been, you know, because I think I'm pretty good in the Uber. You know, I think I'm like a passenger who doesn't complain and I, you know, always kind of try to be nice enough and whatever, but I don't, you know, and, mm. but I, I realized my rating had been slipping a bit. So because I, it's mostly me in the car at the moment, I've got some real concentrated time where I can try <laughs> to up my rating again. And yeah. In real time, I've seen it, like, it's been really, I've got a bit addicted to it because at the moment, after basically every, like, about every two drives, I, obviously, if I'm getting a five-star, it's going up, like, just one point. So, I've gone up from, like, yeah. a 4.6 something well into the mid four seven something. It's like I'm, I'm 4.7 something now. And I've been able to watch going, oh, that must have been a good combo. I must have been, <laughs> I must have been a good passenger on this one. I've never thought to check my rating. Where is it? Uh, when I go to my... When you go to I'm your little now. thing, when yeah. you go to your profile, it'll just say there, I think, under your name. Oh, yeah. Uh, what are you? I'm a 4.67 with Uber. What am I with Lyft? 4.67. Is that good? What's the average? 4.67. I can't imagine anyone would have marked me down for anything with Uber. Oh, unless maybe it was... Unless maybe it was... Hang on. I just need to um, stop for a second. Sorry. <laughs> so <laughs> I had to uh, I had to go and open the back door of the house because Phil. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's 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 coming over to um, uh, uh, cut my hedge for me. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. You got your content out of him. He's doing your gardening for you. Yeah. And once he's done with that, I'm going to get him to cut my baguette for tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I got a, uh, I've got a 4.67. 4.67. Uh, mine, yeah. mine was about that a couple of weeks ago. And now I'm going to... Uh, let me see. Um, uh, 4.72. So I've, I've put oh, shit, you're high. Yeah. Huh. But I haven't been using Uber. I've been using Lyft when I'm in LA because uh, they have Lyft here. But I don't know what my Lyft rating is. I can't imagine that anyone would not give me five stars every time. I'm incredibly polite. I make conversation. I get off my phone. Maybe that's the problem. <laughs> Maybe I just answered my question there. Sky this guy went fucking shut, shut up. up. <laughs> Get talking about how much he's into wrestling again. I don't give a fuck, dude. Start a podcast if you want to talk about that shit. <laughs> hey, uh, Will, something we should talk about. Um, 
It's a little campaign that uh, people would have heard at the start, launched by Planet Broadcasting, that we're very happy to be part of. Yes, indeed. Uh, it is for Care Australia. Um, and last year, the guys, uh, uh, James and Nick, on um, the Weekly Planet, they were able to raise $40,000 for men's mental health for November, um, which was very funny if you listened to it, because the way... They started, they didn't know how much money they were going to raise and they were like talking in the low thousands when they started it. And it was an overwhelming response. They made 40000 which is a really great, really great thing. So uh, Claire has asked um, all the podcasts in the network if they'd like to be part of this campaign, which I think is great. Um, just to give people a bit of info um, about what CARE does, it says here, CARE Australia support women and girls living in extreme poverty across the globe. Care Australia is leading the international aid organisation that works around the globe to save lives and defeat poverty through their five pillars. Gender equality, empowering women and girls. Education, caring for a lifetime of learning. Health, water and sanitation, supporting healthy lives. Food security, aiming to end hunger. And emergency aid, caring for families in crisis, particularly for Syrian refugees. I mean, it's a bit harder to make fun of this one in the same way we would with movement sunglasses, to be honest, Charlie. Kia's not not quite throwing us up quite as much comic fodder to play with, I've got to be honest with you. They don't seem to care about our podcast content. They're too busy caring about bringing food and education and safe spaces to women in third world countries. At least if care like spoke about how their charity cuts out the middleman, would have something to work with. Yeah, exactly. Care was started by two aid workers who were sick of high-priced <laughs> aid programs. Uh, so what we're going to do as part of this campaign um, is uh, 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 Planet Broadcasting is going to organise some bonus content from all your favourite podcasts to be emailed to you. So it might be, we haven't decided what it is yet, but it might be like a special Q&A uh, it might be just some bonus content or, or something like that. But Will and I and Mike Howell will put our heads together and come up with some bonus stuff to give to Planet Broadcasting. So um, if you would like to know more and you'd like to support this campaign, you can go to the Planet Broadcasting website, which is planetbroadcasting.com. And uh, we'll put a link in the show notes, won't we, Mike Howell? I mean, I can't see you. But, but yes, I'm a, of I'm course I'm sure you're will. nodding. I'm sure uh, you're nodding. <laughs> Yes, he, he types. Yes, uh, okay. <laughs> yes, his computer program uh, manages to sim- simulate. I, um, this is a good cause, though, Charlie. And it's a, you know what I love about what Planet Broadcasting are doing with this is this is a really great way to do it because people do want to help, but there is so much you know need for help out there that sometimes it's hard for people to go where do I give my money or how can I make a bit of a difference? And what Planet Broadcasting have done here is that they're offering you something for free as well. You know, they're going, hey, here's yeah. your favorite things. We're going to give you a free bit of, you know, bonus content from your favorite things, but the money's going to support care and their amazing work. So it's just a really cool um, idea. And like, you know, Claire in particular should be applauded for the, you know, the hard work she does for all this. It's a really cool little um, mob to be involved in that Planet Broadcasting team. They've, they've got a whole bunch of really fantastic podcasts under their umbrella and they're, they're very enthusiastic about supporting each other. I, I saw, mm. um, you know, some fans of theirs of the Weekly Planet who'd kind of broadened out into some of their other podcasts had flown out from overseas to come and see their show and yeah, then go and see a bunch of awesome. other comedy festival shows of theirs. And I just love that sort of stuff. I think it's really, uh, yeah, really cool what they're doing and what they're growing. So uh, congratulations to them. And I reckon this is a really cool initiative. Yeah, no, it's great. The thing is, like, I was a fan of the Weekly Planet before Planet Broadcasting started, before we came 
You uh, keep saying that, Charlie. You keep telling us that you were, but I don't know. <laughs> and so it's kind of weird because, like, I now still listen to them, but like having met, uh, you know, Claire and James and Nick and sort of being part of the network, I'm like, oh, this is kind of weird because I listen to their show now. And I can actually contact them and send them a message, which I did literally today because I was caught up in a few episodes. I went and saw A Quiet Place. Have you seen oh, yeah. that yet? No. So Amy went and saw it by herself yesterday at Gold Class, yeah. which I hear is a good way to go and see it because the feedback I've seen from some people is that the problem with A Quiet Place is that in the quiet bits, uh, the people eating popcorn and whispering to their mates yeah. what's going on is that the dude from the office is a bit distracting. Yeah. So... Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what, what did you think? I will put my hand up and say I was one of those guys. I didn't actually think it through. I was very hungry when I got to the cinema, so I got a bag of popcorn. Like a bag, not a tub, a bag that crinkles and makes a lot of noise. And as soon as the film started, I was like, I'm in trouble here because mm. I am starving that <laughs> this is going to be so noisy. So like a bomb, like a, a, a guy who diffuses bombs, I was reaching my hand <laughs> into that bag. Like I put the bag on the ground so it wouldn't rustle in my yep. lap. And I would reach down and just extract a piece of popcorn at a time, slowly put it in my mouth and just put my hands over my, over my mouth and chew. <laughs> well, that's kind of cool because that, from my understanding of what the movie is about, and I've tried not to, you know, read too much because I think that mm. you're going to stumble on spoilers uh, if you mm. do, um, is that there is an element of them needing to uh, keep quiet because of some sort of big bad of some kind, right? I know exactly, that. Yeah, yeah. That, that's kind yeah. of apparent from the trailers and stuff. And so the idea yeah. that you were also trying to keep quiet and going through that might have got you into a frame of mind to enjoy it, to empathise. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. Like if, if uh, I keep thinking of, did you ever see the film It Follows? It's a little great, great little yeah. horror film from a few years ago. And that is a film about the anxiety that come, the, the fear that comes with waiting, just waiting for something to happen. And so they literally put the audience through that experience by observing these kind of disaffected teenagers who are just waiting for something bad to happen. So this film does the same thing where it's like you're waiting for someone to make a noise. You know, you're waiting for something to go bang. So there are jump scares, but they're kind of earned jump scares because, you know, everything makes noise in this world. Like the most, uh, you know, uh, 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 innocuous kind of like movement of something makes a noise which could trigger like all hell breaking loose yeah, it was good i enjoyed it it's um <clears throat> it's like i really need to talk about it like we need some weeks to pass when we yeah. get into like spoiler territory because i liked it but there's something about it that just i haven't been able to shake and it's really kind of it's taken it from me being like an a film to about like a like a b like a b minus like it's it's, I heard uh, uh, Nick talking on the Weekly Planet about it's not a film that bears like close examination because it's high concept, you know what I yeah. mean? But this isn't that. It's not like I'm finding plot holes or logic holes or whatever. There's just something about that film, which in a few weeks we'll get to it because I really, really need to talk about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I would like to see it. I'm going to try to see it before I find out what it's you know, entirely about. And mm. um, uh, and then we can talk about it. And uh, the other thing that is making news when it comes to movies over here, Charlie, I don't know if you saw this from the United States, but uh, for our international listeners, um, there's a guy who hosts morning television over here called Carl Stefanovic. And uh, mm. he went on this rant on the tally last week about because Marvel are releasing uh, uh, Infinity War on um, yeah. Anzac Day. This 
right? And Anzac Day is this like you know day of commemoration, yeah, you know, for a battle. But you know, in the in the name it's, of what do they call it, Memorial Day in yeah, the states. What exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It's like yeah. you know, it's in the name of you know uh, people who fallen have served soldiers. their country and fallen soldiers, and and Anzac Day in particular has become our you know kind of our unofficial national day, but it also has an unhealthy level of jingoism that is associated yeah. with it now. And it was yeah. not what the original soldiers wanted from it at all. In fact, the last remaining diggers, like the last digger said, you know, this, yeah, it was warned about the fact that this is turning into something other than what it should have been. Like, um, mm. and so the last few years, the kind of atmosphere around this day and what you can do on this day has become very prescriptive. Um, mm. And that there's only one way that you should honor and celebrate this day. So, Carl's, so what was Carl's hot take? Uh, well, that Marvel releasing Infinity War on Anzac Day was a national disgrace and how could kids learn about the diggers and what it meant to serve your country when they were off watching Iron Man fight fucking, you know, Thanos. Wow. Was that, <laughs> uh, was that a widely supported view? Oh, who fucking knows anymore? I, I've stopped <laughs> listening to what people think because it's just like, it's so stupid. Everyone believes stupid things. Everyone's stupid. Like, who cares? Well, well speaking of that, we've got some letters. <laughs> uh, this is great, guys. You're really pulling your weight now. Um, we're getting a good assortment of letters each week. I can't read them all out. The ones that I, I, I won't read out, I try and write something back. So just at least you know you're not speaking to the void. We, we do appreciate you getting in touch. So keep them coming through. You'll either get read out or you'll get a, a witty retort from yours truly. Um, but don't think that you're going to get anything beyond that retort. Like we're not... I can't get into a, a deep conversation. I can't. I just really can't. No, once you get all my thoughts on the podcast. Once the retort has been retorted, don't respond to the retort. Don't re retort to the retort. There is no retort yeah. battle that has just been entered into. It is done. Yeah. You got your retort. Yeah. It's over. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks need, very much. It's, it's like it's like when you get one of those kind of uh, automated emails. It's like do not reply to this email. Yeah. <laughs> automated automated retorts. <laughs> First letter is from David Council. Hi, Will and Charlie. Why didn't Will ask Russell Crowe to appear on the podcast during his on or off air conversations with him when he was on his radio show? Is this a Mulder and Scully type storyline of unrequited love? All the best, David. So Russell Crowe has been on uh, my radio show twice now. Uh, he firstly came on to talk about his music, which, you know, Charlie, I always enjoy Russell Crowe talking about his music. Oh, yeah. And uh, then the second time he came on to talk about his divorce auction. Uh, mm. I'm sure you saw, did, did you see the John Oliver piece? Yes. I mean, he, yes. like, I know he's, he's some late news for everybody. John Oliver's really good at comedy. But, like, <laughs> he just, week after week, he does just, you go, when you just kind of think, oh, this could be done now, maybe it, it'll be the same kind of trick over and over and eventually that kind of wears off as a... But no, mm. he just finds new and inventive and interesting ways to, you know, shine a light on stories in the world. He's such a brilliant comedian and that show is just such an amazing show. But... Um, so Russell came on to talk about his divorce auction as well. But what I've also noticed is that Russell's retweeted my show, like as in like the plugs for my show a couple of times, my oh. stand-up show. Now, oh. I've delved no further into the relationship <laughs> at this stage, Charlie. I haven't had conversations with him off air. 
the, yeah. the only conversations we've had have been on air where he's been really yeah. pleasant. So here's the thing yeah. that I'm... So, look, if we're just going to think this out as a scenario, mm-hmm. is there a possibility that he lives in a world because of the nature of, you know, celebrity, that he is not aware that we have a podcast the title of which is a parody of his band's name. Is there a chance that he just doesn't know that we ex- that this exists and yes. that we talk about him regularly? <laughs> and that, yes. like, I how mean, could that I, have I never follow, got back to him? I follow Russell on Twitter and I see that he... I'm always surprised by the things that Russell retweets, like Australian TV shows or articles or the things he reads or other people he follows on Twitter. I'm always like, ah. Oh, Oh, Russell does have an interest in his home country. Like I've always thought that maybe he was just, he'd gone all Hollywood and he didn't really engage. But no, he's pretty plugged into the, the culture. Well, I think he loves, I, would, I actually think he really loves Australia. I mean, he's basically just come back here to live now. He's, he doesn't go overseas yeah. much at all now. And, you know, he's got his footy team and he's got his nice house and, you know, he's Russell Crowe. Well, why wouldn't you? I mean, him and Chris Hensworth, like, that's what you want to do, right? Like, make as much money as you can and then come back to Australia. <laughs> like, that well, seems to be a pretty good move. It's so funny, funny, isn't it? Particularly with Hemsworth. Because we all just kind of just go, oh, you, oh, you just moved back here. Like, we, yeah. we saw him at Byron Bay, you know, for a couple of times. And we're like, oh, yeah, he's bought a house in Byron Bay. But he's going to mostly be in Hollywood. And he'll just be yeah. at Byron. No, he, he just moved back to Australia. Because he was yeah. like, why wouldn't I? I've got heaps of money. Yeah. I can go and live somewhere yeah. really nice. I can surf a, every yeah. day. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to get flown in a jet anywhere I want to go. So, like, it's yeah. no big deal. I mean, there are some shots where, like, you know, when he went to the 2016 grand final and stuff, where literally his Instagram photo was him gassing up his private jet. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> like, wow. He was a moment away. Yeah, right? <laughs> anyway, I think that Tofop, I think Russell has an interest in local product. Mm. But I think that Tofop falls into a category like a lot of Australian podcasts where there's still, as the people who try and sell our show to advertisers are finding out, there's still a lot of people who don't know what podcasts are or don't really listen to podcast, independent podcasts. They'll probably listen to stuff that's like the New York Times podcast or Radio Lab or Serial or whatever. But then, like, you know, we are, we are a fairly popular podcast, but we are still like, we are the tallest midgets in the room. Can I tell you this? Like, what? you'll love this. So my dad came and saw the show um, this week and uh, my stand-up show. And it was actually really lovely. My dad sees my stand-up show every year and uh, has done for the last 22 years or 23 years or whatever. And he's never said anything about it. And that's fine. Never a complaint, <laughs> never a compliment. I'm fine with that. He came. It happened. He's not complaining <laughs> about anything. I, I consider that a yeah all I need from that scenario. That, that's all, also how I uh, describe my ideal sexual encounters. <laughs> Came, enjoyed it. It's gone. That's no all I need to know. Need for small chat. Yeah. <laughs> so um, uh, we went out to lunch the next day, and he said to me, he "Goes, I really like the show this year. It had a his exact quote. I think was it had a plot. Uh, it had a story that I could follow, not like your usual stuff." <laughs> now <laughs> high praise uh, put that on the yeah. poster for next year um <laughs> but he has been listening to podcasts my father yep. graham anderson mm-hmm. from anderson's road denison Mum's downloaded him some podcasts 
and she downloaded him the Howie Games, which is Mark Howard's uh, sports podcast. It's a kind of a, like he sits down with you know famous sports people and it's kind of a philosophy for sports people, really. And Howie and I went to high school together. And so dad knows Howie, you know, Howie used to be over at the house all the time when we were teenagers. And so perfect for my old man. My old man loves sport. And it's like, you know, Howie doing the interview. And also those podcasts, are, if you've not listened to the Howie Games, it's an excellent, excellent podcast. And so dad's been loving it. And then mum downloaded him an episode because my dad likes football of our other oh, no. podcast, Charlie. Oh, no. Two Guys, One Cup. Oh, no. How'd that go down? Not, not to my dad's tastes. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> he didn't like His my exact quote was, impression. I didn't understand what that was. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. That's perfect. Uh, Graham, uh, we all agree. <laughs> no one understands no one. what it is. No one. Oh, man. Oh, oh no. Um, next letter is from uh, Alice Dare. Not Alice Dare. Alice Dare with a D. Alice Dare. Belling. Hey boys, I need help with how I talk about my best cricket achievement. See, I've only ever taken one 5-4, where I took 5 for 13, ripping through the top order of a team in the first three overs of a match. Okay. So uh, for non-cricket fans, that's, that's pretty good for a bowler. Yep. The only issue is, I was playing in, fa- in a father-son team, and I got out all five kids, all 12 years old, who had already played a junior game that day. And they only went into bat first because their dads wanted to get in the piss for a bit. <laughs> can, I, you, can I, in your professional opinions, brag about this as my best bowling figures? Or should I just tell my story about being clobbered in the head as a fielder when sharing my cricket exploits? Please help. Lots of loves and prayers for Will's hips. A-L. P.S. What were the results of Charlie's MRI? All right, let's break this down from can you brag about bowling out five 12-year-olds? Uh, so he was an adult at the time. Because if yes. you were 12 and you bowled out 12, five 12-year-olds, 12 absolutely yep. fine. Uh, is there any yep. uh, timeline on that letter of when this event took place? Do we have an understanding? No, no. no. It's just his, I mean, I'm, assume, I'm assuming it's recent because he's an adult and it was a father-son game. I would say once those kids have actually turned 16 in real life, mm. you can just brag about it and not mention it because they're adults right. then. Yeah, okay. So right? don't victimise don't, don't victimize children. Is that... Uh... Well, it's like, you know, last week it was like we were saying that, um, uh, you know, you can kind of make fun of someone's death after they would have died of natural causes anyway. And I yeah. think that's the, the same with this sort of thing. Once they're actually adults, then you can brag about it. But you can't brag about it while they're actually still children. I think I would question whether or not I would brag about bowling out five 12-year-olds when they made 13 runs off you. <laughs> Like, bowling them out five for zero would be impressive. Mate, they still managed to fucking get a few runs on you. I'm not sure I'd be telling that many people that. They've smashed you in between your wickets. Yeah. (laughs) Especially if one kid scored, like, all 13 runs. Might have been the guy down the other end they were scoring. Oh, no, it was five for 13 off him. So, and it was off, how many overs did he say it was? It was the first four overs. overs. Three overs. They made 13 runs off 18 balls. That's pretty good. Well, but not off 18 balls because five of them were wickets. So they only have 13 remaining scoring balls, right? So if he's bowled three overs, right, yeah. and he's taken five the wickets. First three, he said that he bowled the first three overs of the match and took five wickets. Yeah, right. So that's 18 yeah. balls in total. You've got to take yeah. out five of those balls as scoring opportunities because they're dismissals, 
right? Yeah. So you're only left yeah. with 13 balls and they've scored... Eight, 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 no, 13 runs off eight balls. Eight? Yes. Because you take five out for dismissals. So the kids made 13 runs. Mate, that, that's pretty embarrassing. Right. He smashed you. You've been smashed <laughs> in between by a fucking child. <laughs> no, don't bring this up. Well, our next letter is from five 12-year-olds who uh, <laughs> smashed an adult all over the park. They want to know when they can talk about it. Our next email is from Ashley Yates. Hey, guys. I'm a big fan of the podcast, and I was recently at the Brisbane Comedy Festival and saw Will live. I thought he was on drugs at the start. <laughs> but you pulled through, and it was an awesome night. <laughs> like most, I'm re-listening to the old podcast, and I was impressed by the ironic prediction uh, the, by Charlie that has since come true. Episode 111. Oh, this is great. This is like you and I are at a comic book convention and he's bringing up a very specific episode. Oh, this is what I Pretty. asked for. I said, if, yeah. if people could do this, I, this is, makes me happy. Yeah. And I completely forgotten you'd requested that. So yeah. <laughs> thanks for the reminder. Yeah. You might remember in episode, uh, whatever last week's episode of this was, <laughs> when I said, could people do that? So in episode uh, 111 called Solo Han or Solo Han, which came out in 2015, Will is talking about how he doesn't give a shit about the Star Wars mythology and he just finds the Jedi stuff cool. To which Charlie poses the question, would you watch a Han Solo movie? A Solo Han movie? Or solo, a Solo Han Solo movie? They call it Solo and it's just about Han. What a great movie. Will says, yeah, I'd watch it. Listening to that now, it's quite funny. My question is, will Will want to watch Solo still? Good luck reading that. But I'd like to hear your thoughts on the casting around Donald Glover as Lando, Amelia Clark as Khaleesi, and Woody Harrelson as whatever he wants to be, and also the actor playing Han. Not sure if this will get uh, read, but let's uh, thought it was worth a try. So we did talk a little bit about it last week, I believe, or the week before. But um, Amelia Clark is playing Khaleesi in the Han Solo film. Is that some kind of Game of Thrones crossover? Uh, I don't think she's playing Khaleesi. I think she's playing a Khaleesi-like character. I mean, it'd be great if we found out that Star Wars and Game of Thrones were set in the same universe. <laughs> uh, so what do you think about the casting? Donald Glover as Lando. Oh, Good. My, my favourite thing is at the moment is... Because Donald Glover is obviously brilliantly stunningly talented like pretty much everything annoying annoyingly talented well you know the thing about him though is that justin and i have this running joke because there's this kind of meme of like at last he's getting a break like every yeah. single thing that ever happens to him like when childish yeah. gambino won all those awards they're like oh thank god finally recognizing <laughs> donald glover and then it'll be like he, he directed and won all the emmys like for atlanta and they're like oh thank god People are finally, like, Donald Glover's getting some uh, recognition. And, and, and it's yeah. honestly one of those things where, yeah, yeah, he's been famous forever and everything that he does is excellent. I feel like well, the, people know that Donald the, Glover is good. The last story was that he and his brother wrote, like, a, 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 a pitch for a Deadpool animated series, like a adult Deadpool series, and they got as far as doing, like, an animatic proof of concept for it. And it's like, stop! Being so productive and, and like multi-talented. Say something for the rest of us. Don't, give, don't make us give us... We'll give you the South Park guys treatments, you fucking bricks. Like, don't do that. Stick in your lane. Well, it's honestly become a thing where Justin and I, every time something, you know, he's announcing something else, we'll just send each other a little screenshot and it'll just say, 
good to see Donald Glover's finally got a break. <laughs> but that's that's become every second day because he's in everything yeah. and he's yeah, anyway, he'll be amazing. He'll be the the highlight of it. And I think they probably would have been better off making a Lando Calrissian movie rather than a Han Solo movie. In fact, that's what I would have done. I would have made a Lando movie with Donald Glover and just had Han in it at some stage as a cameo rather than making a Han movie. It'd be great if you did like a Lando, like maybe this is a bit played out, but let's use it as a starting point, yeah. but like a black exploitation kind of Lando, like a 70s kind of style, like maybe where Lando's from, there's more people like him. So you can do it in that kind of style, like pick up on the popularity of like Black Panther and stuff and actually get some more diversity in the Star Wars universe. I'd watch that. If it was like Lando running Sky City, like, you know, he was the pimp of Sky City. I think that'd be cool. Yeah, I would like to see that. So um, here's what I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to try to find this tweet by uh, Paul Verhoeven. Do you know Paul Verhoeven? Uh, the movie review guy? Yeah, that's right. And so he wrote this tweet tweet about it the other day, which I loved, and I was like, this is actually what this movie should be. Um, oh, okay, here we go. Uh, so Paul, Paul uh, you know one of those things you retweet and you think, mm. oh, this is going to be huge. I've got in on this early, but now that I've gone to see it, I've realised it's only got 24 retweets. So it didn't quite take fire the Catch same fire. way as I thought it was going to when I retweeted it. But I would love this. Now, this would pull the rug out of everything that has um, pulled the rug out of everything. No, oh, so no, Michael no. is trying Michael. to interrupt. Michael, there is a, a movie review in Australia called Paul Verhoeven. Yeah. Michael was like frantically trying to send us messages then that Paul Verhoeven actually directed Robocop. Yeah. Sorry, for our American <laughs> listeners, we should just... Uh, Educate you. I mean, I, I can understand the kind of confusion because we both calmly like, oh yeah, Paul Verhoeven, yeah. the movie, the the movie review. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good point. And uh, of course, Mike Hell uh, got very defensive because it was about RoboCop, which is an AI movie, and he thought we were <laughs> disrespecting his kind. <laughs> so, um, okay, this this is one of those absolute like you know it would pull the rug under a lot of things that have come before, but at the same mm. time, I just fucking love this and this is what i think should happen um solo a star wars story idea at the end it's panned out to reveal that the whole film was han's life flashing before his eyes as he fell at the end of the force awakens his eyes snap open mid-fall and he grabs a girder hauling himself up and grinning mutters i ain't done yet cut to black <laughs> <laughs> that's cool <laughs> I mean it's about 24 retweets worth of cool but it's cool <laughs> I would love that to be the plot of it though that'd be great if it was that would actually give it something I mean genuinely I'd be like if if the solo movie was you suddenly realised it was Han's life flashing before his eyes as he yeah as he fell mm. that would be that would be cool uh, Amelia Clark, like uh, Woody Harrelson, yeah, watch him do anything. Yeah. But I'm still not convinced. I, I don't know that I will go see Han Solo at the cinema. Um, no, I will not. I will watch it on a plane. Sebastian Roger says, Hey, Will and Charlie, you guys talked about WrestleMania on the last episode and have brought it up a few times before, so I have some questions. Now, bearing in mind, I've never watched WrestleMania and the only exposure I've had to it is the criticism that it's all scripted which you answer by comparing it to any other medium. But you talk a lot about the storylines and how they have villains and heroes and the characters are also the producers and the COOs, question mark, which I don't understand. How that unfolds on TV, is it all through combat in the ring or the commentators read it out as a fight is happening? 
If you could enlighten me, that would be great. Thanks for all the work in your podcast. I've learned so much from Willosophy and That's Awesome. It's one of the best podcast series out there. Hope you're doing well. Take care, Sebastian. Do you want to take this? Well, I mean, well, the WWE, but wrestling in general, but that sort of wrestling, yeah. WrestleMania wrestling, um, yeah. it's, it's like a traveling circus of some mm. kind. So all the people who sort of run it are also like part of it. So the, yeah. the interesting thing is that it's like the boss of the, you know, the boss of the organization was all, would also go down and wrestle in fights, but also just mm. hold contract negotiations in the middle of the, like either backstage on camera or like in the middle of a yeah. ring. And I think that's the important distinction is the way they convey the storylines is they have filmed segments that are out the back in between the matches, which explain to you all the rivalries and grudges and all that kind of stuff. And so generally the match is a climax of one of those storylines or it is the next chapter in that. So two guys don't like each other. You see that happening backstage, then they fight in the ring and one of them like cheats to win. And so that becomes, kicks off the next unresolved storyline, which is they have to have a rematch or whatever. So yeah, it's kind it's, of it's like, 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 like oh, go on. Yeah, go on. Well, it's, it's like a soap opera with MMA bouts in between. Yeah, I would, I would like to say, you know, like in a movie that's all about the action, like in a, you know, an Avengers or like that sort of thing where essentially you're working up to set pieces where so-and-so is going to fight so-and-so. It's better if the Hulk is fighting Thor for a reason. So the tape packages are the reason in between the fights. So they give you all the motivation. They kind of, you know, build up the rivalry. One will be doing shout outs to the other people. You know, like one of the great aspects of being a wrestler is you could either be really good in the ring or you could be really good at sort of like cutting promos and, you know, building up your yeah. character and working the mic. And often if you can do both very well, that's when you become a superstar. And what they're doing now, because like I said last week, I'm back into it. I've been watching a lot of wrestling, is that they are open about the scripted nature of it. They're open about the fact that they don't necessarily talk about you know, um, who's going to win. They'll still talk about those contests as if they're actual contests. They do keep some mystery. But they'll talk about, you know, how they develop their character or where they've come from. There's a great series on YouTube at the moment where they will follow a wrestler back to where they came from. Like there's a great one on Seth Rollins where you go back to Ohio. He, like you, Will, he grew up in a town, you know, that was one street uh, and then started wrestling in the backyards. And it's really interesting because that too, in the same way that when you watch something like boxing, like a real kind of fighting sport, the backstory of where that character has come from, like, you know, what that fighter had to do to get there, because normally they come from pretty tough backgrounds, is also part of why you watch it. Or, you know, one boxer is a science teacher, you know, who's you know, coming back into the ring. It's all part of the drama. So they do that more and more with the wrestling. They're still definitely playing characters and good guys and bad guys, but you also get to know them as, you know, what their real names are and, and where they've come from. They're, and there's this new wrestler at the moment, uh, I'm going to get his name wrong, it's Senshi Nakamura, I believe, a Japanese guy who was this huge star in Japan and is now breaking the WWE. And he's caught fire. And it's amazing to watch because there is nothing about this guy that is traditional in what you'd think when you think of professional wrestling. Like he is so unique and odd. They call him the king of strong style, which is a in, uh, in J- Japanese professional wrestling. Strong style is... It's, it's more of a performance, like the way you strike and stuff, it's full of emotion. Like it's, you're trying to tell a story with the violence. You're not just doing stunts. Like the American stuff tends to be much more focused on the actual stunts. So this guy, like he doesn't have a bodybuilder's body 
and he comes out to the ring to uh, dress like Michael Jackson and he does these Michael Jackson kind of moves. Like he's always very serpentine, moving his body as he comes to the ring. And when he wrestles, he doesn't do any moves that I've seen before. Like it's not suplexes, drop kicks, whatever. It's all kind of like mixed martial arts. It's a lot of striking, like kicks and punches and stuff. And the first few times I watched him wrestle, I'm like, this is shit. Like I don't, you know, he's, he's not doing any flips or anything. But then you just get sucked into the narrative of what he's doing. And he talks about, because I watched this half hour documentary on him and he talks about how, you know, his father died when he was 18 years old. And, you know, he really, when he was a young man, he decided that he wanted to see the world. He wanted to make money and he wanted to be famous. And he's like professional wrestling. Like that's the best way to do that. You know, if I become a star in Japan, I can come to the WWE. But there is no, I, I look at him and I'm like, there's no way I can understand that Vince McMahon would have looked at this guy and gone, oh, yeah, that's a natural fit for the WWE. But someone in that company did. And he won the Royal Rumble. He just lost to AJ Styles, who's like, you know, the best wrestler going around at the moment at WrestleMania. And he's just completely unique. Like, it, I, I can't tell you how weird and interesting it is. Like, I really feel like there's a renaissance that's about to happen with this sport. Well, you know, look, to be honest, Charlie, I can't tell if there is or not, but there seem to be in the people that I follow online and in the people that like, you know, I just have an awareness who had an awareness of WrestleMania. It seemed to be bigger this year than it has been for the last few years to me. Like there just seemed to be more people talking about it. There seemed to be yeah. more interest in it. Jared Whiteley on his like morning sports show did like a 40 minute <laughs> chat about wrestlemania did he really yeah oh that's fantastic and like because he loves wrestling but also he just can't help but sound like a informed sports commentator he spoke about it in a way that made it sound like it was you know events like going over the re yeah the like, results and stuff exactly it was really yeah. i was like you made this sound compelling <laughs> Well, it is compelling. Like, there's just something about it. And it's kind of bizarre to talk about it because the WWE is a massive organization. Mm. It's like, you know, it's like Apple or Amazon or any of these, kind of, or, you know, Verizon, Disney. Like, they're a big fucking, like, media company. But what they're doing at the moment, it's... Because really, think about it. Like, it's just very specific to Japan and the United States. Like, other countries have, like, small little wrestling outfits. But you can be a superstar in this country being a professional wrestler. And what is that as a job? You're kind of a stuntman, actor, fighter. Like it's, it's not a real job. You know well, I, mean? I mean, I, 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 I've talked about this more times than it probably deserves, but the, the Waterworld show at uh, Universal Studios, right? You know, the stunt show they do around uh, yeah. uh, Kevin Costner's Waterworld. And mm -hmm. it's better than it should be. It's one of those things that you always go and see because you've paid for the ticket anyway and there's only so many things you can get to in a day. And so you go and see the Waterworld stunt show and every time that you see it, you walk away and go, you know what, That's, that, that, that was actually pretty good. It's just fun to see somebody like do stunts. And, you know, stunts. like, and, and this, the WWE is just kind of a, a bigger, bulkier version of that, right? It's just... Yeah. Essentially, it's fun to watch people do stunts and it's even more fun if those stunts have some sort of storyline. Well, it's actually got me to the point where I'm starting now to look around for if there's any independent shows that I can go see, like one where it, like in the church hall or whatever. Because I'm like, I've only been to see the WWE and I was miles away. But I would like to sort of get on the ground level at that kind of like amateur level and just sort of see what's going on. Because the psychology of getting into choosing that as a career, especially if you grow up in Australia, like, can you imagine it's like 
your son comes to you and says, I want to be a professional wrestler. It's like, well, what is the pathway to that? Like even the careers that we've chosen, which are you know, still fairly hard to get into, there is a more established pathway. But if you say you want to be a professional wrestler, that's almost harder than saying you want to be like a professional athlete of some kind, because there's obvious channels to become a footballer or a cricketer or a basketballer. Yeah, well, I think you'd have to go to the States. I mean, it'd be one of those jobs where you just go, well, this is where the thing that I want to do is. And you just go over there and, you know, like, I mean, I know there, well, I are, think... re- there are wrestling leagues and you know, competitions and organizations in Australia. And my understanding is that, you know, there's some good stuff that's going on. So there may be some yeah. way that people graduate through, you know, you, you could wrestle locally and then go, you know, you've got some talent, maybe you need to go overseas to wrestle. Well, I th- from the documentaries I've seen, I think the way it works is that the WWE have talent scouts everywhere. So they will do like recruiting drives and tryouts and stuff like that. So I mean, that, what a job. What a way that you've wangled a lie that you're a <laughs> recruitment, a wrestling recruiter for the WWE. Like, you can imagine it, like on the night where like, you know, the local league, yeah, the, there's a mysterious guy in the corner and everybody's backstage going, <laughs> I think it's the guy from the WWE. <laughs> This is the night. He's going to discover me tonight. Yeah. One more email and then we'll go. Yeah, yeah. This is from Mitch Moody. Great name. Hello, Will and Charlie. Uh, Greetings from America. I came to learn about TOEFOP from Walking the Room. I caught up with Dave the other day. He says, g'day. Um, Not to you, Will, to the audience. (laughs) Back when that was still a thing. Sounds like Dave. (laughs) (laughs) And I've been a fan ever since. Today, I'm listening to No Role for Liam, which is last week's episode where you are discussing, listening to podcasts, etc., while you sleep. I thought this was a great in for me to write a note and tell you about a TOEFOP-related dream I had recently. I don't know if this is interesting enough for reading on the podcast. It is. But it's certainly weird enough to mention as an example the way your brain takes various unrelated things and puts them together in bizarre ways. <laughs> the night in question, I'd eaten a bit of edible medicine. And as I prepped for bed, I loaded up on some back episodes of TOEFOP to listen to as I drifted off to sleep. During the night, I had a dream where I was at a party with a lot of friends from when I was in my 20s. While walking around the party, I ran into Charlie. In the dream, it seemed completely normal to me that some famous Australian actor would be at our party just hanging out, having drinks and chatting. So who was, the, introduced- fam- who was the famous Australian actor that we're talking about? <laughs> Russell, Russell, uh, Russell, Russell Crowe. was there as well. He was there, yeah. <laughs> I introduced myself to him and we had a nice chat about TOEFOP and some other things, then went our separate ways. Later in the evening, I realized that Charlie and an ex-girlfriend of mine had hooked up while the party was going on. Uh, I recall being very pleased about this in my dream, but I have no idea why. (laughs) Excluding the facts that Charlie is married, and I think my ex is married, and I haven't thought about her in ages, I don't know why my brain put them all in a dream like that. I'm thinking that maybe something was being discussed about parties or hookups or both on an episode that was playing. My brain did an Iron Chef on it and made it all one weird dream. I recall a past episode where Charlie mentioned um, having, bringing a ho- having brought a horde of people, home and away cast over, to Will's house one night for a party without Will being aware of it ahead of the time that it was happening. I've been thinking about it since, uh, I've been thinking about it since it happened and my conclusion is that Tofop and Edibles combine to make me a great wingman or I have some secret cuckolding fantasy involving Charlie that I'm coming to grips with subconsciously. Either that or you are Freddy Krueger style just appearing in people's <laughs> dreams and hooking up with their exes. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> 
Uh, if you like the show, you can support us by going to our One, Patreon page. Two, Charlie's coming. For you. <laughs> Three, four, you better put your wife outside the door. Five, six, he's going to show her his dick. Seven, eight, he's going to ask if she has a mate. Nine, ten, you'll want to sleep with them again. <laughs> we have a Patreon page if you'd like to support the show, which is patreon.com forward slash tofop. Um, we do have sponsors from time to time, but it's the best way to uh, keep the show running is uh, to go there and, and donate. You can put in any amount, uh, whatever you, you feel comfortable parting ways with. I have noticed there has been a bit of a spike in Patreon, so thank you to the people who have jumped on board. Yeah, no, look, I mean, the truth of it is that in the environment, if you contribute, we get to keep making it. That's that's basically how it works. So we thank everybody who does that. And I mean, obviously, you know, it helps us pay everyone and look after everybody who helps, uh, you know, get, get the show together. Uh, so, you know, we do this bit of it. Uh, you guys write us letters and provide us with content. Michael uh, edits it all together, uh, puts it on the internet. Uh, James does some really cool art for it. To be honest, we are the least important part of this pro- project and it should not be. We need to pay all these other people to make it happen. Speaking of James, uh, we had a Skype session a couple of days ago about the next issue of Quantum Cop, mm-hmm. which uh, should be coming out. Scripts two and three have been written. So uh, James is hard at work on that. It was a lot of fun. Uh, we had a, a last-minute rewrite. He sent, me a, he sent me a script. I gave him some notes. He then emailed and said, you know what, I've had a change of heart. Can we have an emergency rewrite of this? And so it was very fun. It's, it's great. I tell you what, like, if, if nothing else, this will be my legacy, Quantum Cop. <laughs> Six issues, hopefully, of Quantum Cop. Like, when I die, that can be the first line of my obituary. Charlie Clawson, creator of Quantum Cop. <laughs> Six issues of Quantum Cop. Uh, so people can access Quantum Cop how, Charlie? That's what you've got to tell them. Oh, by subscribing to the Patreon page. Yeah. It's I know that, there. Charlie. It, I'm just saying you need to tell them that. I didn't, I, didn't we already say that? Well, okay. we kind of implied Sorry. it without really making it clear. <laughs> so I was trying to make it clear. Well, Quantum Cop, the first issue, is in our, on our Patreon site, along with a lot of other bonus content, videos, behind-the-scenes photographs, uh, the comic strip uh, Everyone Relax, which is another thing that James Fosdyke does for us. Uh, you got a show to promote? Uh, yeah, we're legal. Uh, by the time you hear this, uh, Melbourne Comedy Festival might be over or I might have one more show to go. Uh, otherwise, uh, you can catch me in Sydney, Canberra and Perth. Perth's only a couple of weeks away, so people of Perth, uh, come out and see the shows. Um, it's uh, definitely my favourite show I've ever done and uh, even my old man liked it, guys. So that, if, that's, <laughs> if you need any more recommendation, come and see the show in Perth. And I have a bunch of other podcasts uh out with my philosophy podcast that you can check out and of course we have our other footy podcast two guys one cup find them all at tofop.com i'm charlie clawson i'm will anderson professional exit (laughs) this podcast is part of the planet broadcasting network visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates It's not optional. You have to do it. (laughs) We used to go easy on it, but now you have to. Yeah. Yeah.